Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along after the bank holiday weekend, I hope you had an enjoyable bank holiday. Now, there was a sea of red on the South Mall yesterday evening because of this. It is the fastest hat trick in the Cork had plenty of plenty of leaders on the field yesterday, but when your captain does what a captain done yesterday, there's no words to describe. Ladies and gentlemen, captain of the Cork team, Amy O'Connor. has come out here today um, we knew coming down here that we have a, a brilliant crowd we always do but it's been too long uh, so this is year number five um, before we had a, a cup again and you know I remember these memories very fondly my name is Claire Sheehan. I'm from Ballancolic, but my daughters play for Bishopstown. It was a fantastic occasion because we've travelled up and supported the team throughout the whole season. And we travelled up the last number of years where, unfortunately, they weren't victorious. Um, but yesterday, they uh, left nothing out there. They gave everything and they deserved it because they've worked really, really hard. Um, so it was fantastic that they got their just reward after a great season. They're brilliant role models, aren't they? They are. Um, I'm very lucky. I teach in Kinsale Community School and I um, work with uh, Fiona Keating and Saoirse McCarthy both from Corsi Rovers so they're absolutely fantastic role models for all girls in sport and to retain girls in sport to see the commitment and the determination and the sacrifice they put in every day is phenomenal Carrie Sheehan and Carrie do you play Camogie? yeah brilliant and what did you make of the, the match yesterday? it was really good it was very good to watch and can you pick out uh, some of the moments, Edward? I suppose that hat-trick that the captain got was pretty cool. Yeah, the three goals that Amy O'Connor got were incredible, and they were just, they happened so fast. Rosie Sheehan, I think it was the best match like ever that they've ever played. And what do you make of the, I suppose, the style of play, and the hat-trick was pretty cool? Yeah, the backs were, like, amazing. There was no ball that ever went in. They just swiped it and, like, cleaned it out. And really. So, Angie, tell me, uh, how excited are you to welcome the team back? Oh, God. Well, we just came back from Dublin. So we dropped off our bags and came here then. Amy Lee is your daughter? Yeah, that's her. <laughs> you must be so proud. Oh, yeah, yeah, very. She's a good girl, like, she works hard, plays hard, so what more do you want? And how important now is it to have this big homecoming to celebrate that victory? 
I think it's good. It's good for the kids because it's mainly all kids follow them. Like, yeah. So, well, it's mainly all kids knock at my door for Amy, like, so. And I'm here in Kent Station with the Lord Mayor of Car Councillor, Kieran McCarthy. And these girls have, yeah, they've delivered. Um, but you could see yesterday, look, they were hungry. They, they wanted it. And they, they, they never um, stood back from the task yesterday. Um, and they're, yeah, like, proudly bringing, like, the O'Duffy Cup back home to Leaside. It's brilliant. Now you start your term in office. It's a real great start. <laughs> Rebels of boo, I have to say. As your county mayor, I was delighted to be in Cork Park yesterday when that team, with their, I was to say the blood and bandage, they wore the red and white with proud. And we're the proudest county in Ireland. They brought that cup back to the River Lee. I'm delighted to be here in Cork tonight on the banks celebrating the 29th victory. Yesterday, it didn't matter who was put in front of us. There was only going to be one winner, and it was Kirky. So give it up for the girls. Oh, fabulous. Thank you to our news reporter, Mairead Tuig, for putting that package uh, together for us. And once again, congratulations to all of the girls and enjoy what no doubt is going to be a week, uh, at least a week of uh, celebrations. And it was good to see Amy O'Connor specifically mentioned in that piece uh, with Mairead. I mean, as captain, what a match she had. I mean, I imagine for any player of any uh, Gaelic sports to to have a hat-trick at an All-Ireland final it's kind of the stuff isn't it that dreams are made of and certainly came true for Amy O'Connor uh, yesterday she was fantastic and the O'Duffy Cup is back where it belongs and while it was great to see uh, a lot of people turn out to welcome back the girls there is expected to be I imagine a big uh, crowd will turn out today uh, by way of tribute to the late uh, Sinead O'Connor because mourners are get, will be asked to gather along the seafront in Bray today and this is a final bid to the late singer Sinead uh, O'Connor. Her funeral cortege will travel from one end of the Strand Road in Bray to the other. But the most important part is it passes her former uh, home before then continues on to for a private family uh, burial. And a statement was issued over the weekend by Sinead O'Connor's uh, family where they sh- shared details of the arrangement and went on to thank the people for their kindness. And they said in the statement that people will have the opportunity to pay their final respects to Sinead when her funeral cortege will progress along the seafront in Bray past the home, the home where she lived for 15 years and of course that that house has become a little bit of a shrine since the sad news of Sinead's passing and flowers and handwritten tributes have continued to be placed in front of Sinead's uh, former home as a community very much remembers the star who lived there for many years and then I spotted yesterday and some of the papers are picking up on it what can only be described as a very poignant tribute uh, to Sinead and it appeared on the cliff edge in Wicklow early on Sunday morning and it was created according to the creators, uh, to welcome Sinead home. And as dawn broke on Bray Head on Sunday, it revealed a large sign in tribute to the singer that read Era and then a heart. So Era loves uh, Sinead. And it was installed on top of a World War II sign that people may remember was uncovered in the aftermath of a gorse fire on the summer of 2018. A sign during the Second World War that once meant stay away 
This week, the message is to welcome Sinead O'Connor home. And that was according to Richard Seabrook, who was the, who was the creative director of a Dublin-based creative agency called The Tenth Man. And he created the work with a signwriting and muriel uh, specialist. He described Sinead O'Connor's passing as uh, the Princess Diana moment for Ireland in that everyone will remember where they were and where they learned of her death. So she takes her final journey today as I say, I, I expect big, big crowds uh, to turn out in Bray this morning just to witness her on her final uh, journey. And then to mark the uh, funeral, we here at C103, along with um, a number of other independent radio stations at about the half past 12 mark as that cortege is going through Bray, we will be playing uh, Nothing Compares to You for just by way of once again remembering uh, Sinead O'Connor. So that'll be at about half past 12 today. Dennis said it was great to see such a big crowd turn out because the rebelettes uh, deserve to every bit of the celebrations yesterday. While Veronica also pleased with the turnout yesterday in the city but was disappointed that none of the shop windows were decorated and actually only on Friday if you were tuned to the programme we had Mary Newman on from a uh, big big Camogie supporter uh, and a reporter with uh, Camogie for the Echo uh, and she came on calling on people to please put out flags and I did see that a number of people I think certainly where I was driving around I was kept to look out for flags there wasn't certainly there wasn't as many as if it was um, an All-Ireland for the men there would have been much much more flags which is really really uh, disappointing but you would have thought with, especially for a homecoming that more would have decorated so that's what Veronica was disappointed about. Mike says well done to the Cork Camogie team the men's team and their coaches should watch the video of Sunday's game the way those girls played that's the way to win an All-Ireland well done girls Email Patricia now with your story or comment Cork today at c103.ie today on C103. According to one West Cork councillor, somebody will die because landowners and farmers are afraid to cut hedges due to fears of being prosecuted. To discuss an issue that many of our listeners complain about is Bandit Kinsale councillor John O'Sullivan. Uh, good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, you can't cut hedges because of the Wildlife Act between March and September. But under right. that Wildlife Act, isn't it possible if overgrown hedges uh, is is a road safety issue or a health and safety issue? Absolutely. And I mean, the, the 1993 Roads Act says there's a statutory obligation on landowners and occupiers to ensure roadside structures, trees, shrubs and other vegetation do not present a danger to those using and working on the public roads. That's the, the legislation. But where the where the issue arises is, um, I suppose, like a giant up thinking. I mean, I, maybe you'll remember a number of years back where we had a, a situation just west of Dunmanway where a landowner, in cooperation with the local area engineer, uh, cut trees and, 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 and made, made the road safe. And a number of days later, people from uh, other organisations, I'll put it that way, came in and threatened the man with removal of his single farm payment uh, and of prosecution for for doing what he did what he did in consultation on a road on a road safety um, context. So that makes and no sense. None at all. None at all. And that, that's that's why I, that's why I, I made the claim at, at the meeting was that there needs to be clarity. We have we have the road act as I as I said to you there. We have. Um, then we have the Wildlife and the Biodiversity Acts and we've others. But 
all all the ex- legislation and all the number of bodies that are, that are dealing with it are creating a scenario where people don't know what to do, and they're standing back and doing nothing because they're just they just have a fear that if they if they go go at, at t- cutting trees, somebody and in this day like in this day and age with 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 mobile phones and videos, it can be put up online and they they'll get a battering there. They can be reported and. While they had no intent of doing anything wrong or unlawful, they were doing things to the best of it. But they can, they can face prosecution. They can face um, penalties for landowners for single farm payments and that. So the uncertainty and the lack, the lack of lack of clarity is putting people in, in a desperate situation. I be, and I can understand, you know, by what you're saying, if a landowner or a farmer knows that a hedge needs to be cut, but with all that going on in the background. The attitude is, I'm not going. I'm not going to take the risk. Well, I mean, I, I go back to the, this man and the man when it, 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 it's a simple case. He identified that the trees were an issue. Hedging was an issue. He went to his local area engineer, and that was previously what, what we as public reps would do. We'd say, talk to the area engineer and yeah. take guidance from them. The area engineer agreed. The, at the, on that occasion, the area engineer provided. The, the road management for him to get the trees cut and taken down, and within a number of days, a person and another government organisation came in and led the right act with the threat of prosecution and the threat of removal or, or, or penalties on a single farm payment. That's just the example I, I, I'm putting out there. That now is replicated all around. There are more laws, more legislation, and you're responsible for everything, but nobody is clarifying. What and when and, and at the at the moment, if does a landlord landlord owner or farmer need to get permission from the council if they do want to cut down a dangerous tree or cut back hedges at, at no. a crossroads or whatever? A dangerous tree, you must notify to um, Quilta. Okay. Uh, not a day. No, there is there is. The legislation allows a person where they determine that there's a danger to take down a tree. But once the tree is taken down, there's no there's no evidence that how dangerous it was, whether he acted within the regulation. Or, and an official can come along and say, "I'm not I'm not happy that that was dangerous. I'm not happy." Oh you know, it, 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 it's an, it's becoming a nightmare. And the, the the real the real crisis here is we've never had more people out cycling and out walking. Mm. The hedgerows are coming out, and, 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 and as, as the late Paddy Sheehan once said, shaking hands in the middle of the road with the, with the briars. And those people are now on the road. There's a danger there for, for car traffic and for big HGVs. And I'm, I'm aware of a person just north of the city there that because a, a lorry turned in short was taken off a bike and got serious injuries. And I, I, I'm just I'm just afraid that until there's clarity brought out there where a landowner or property owner, they don't have enough to be farmers at this stage, um, can say, I've got through one, two, three steps in the process, and I can I, I can do what I need to do, and what I feel is, is required. But the, the other thing, and there was there was an RTE podcast on this a number of days ago, the cost of doing things to, to the standard that's required at the side of the road, where there are ESB lines, there are Aircom lines, there are maybe other water structures or whatever. The cost of getting it done is is getting 
significant now as well, to, to a stage where maybe some property owners don't have the, the, the full wherewithal to do it. Because if you if you have to go to Irish Water and get something done, if you have to go to air and get poles taken down or wire taken down, go to the ESP and take it, that's there's a cost in there's all a that. Ca- yeah, huge cost implication. And, and what advice, John, do you have for motorists who come across dangerous junctions with overgrown um, hedges? We constantly get calls in from listeners like we normally say to them, oh, report it to a lo- your local council office. Is, I mean, is is that what motorists should be doing? Yes, yes. And, uh, and that, then that, what happens? Well, what would, what would happen then is, is that the, the local area office would write to the landowner, and you would we, we would we would get some sort of agreement of what, what action plan would, would take place. That at least would give cover to the landowner. That he has something in writing to tell him that there was that there was a danger, or people considered it dangerous, because the the, the real the real issue here is that a landowner can identify himself, go off and remedy it, and somebody with a camera or a video or whatever can take it and report it, and because the the danger has been uh, corrected, whoever an inspector can come out two days later and say, well, I'm not sure that that, that, that was that, that serious. You could have waited until the first of September to do it or whatever. And that puts the landowner or the, the property owner in, in an awful place. That's just shocking. It's just shocking. Somebody is making the point that the farmer should take photographs and videos before they knock down the tree and afterwards have the evidence so that they can show somebody this was dangerous. I needed to do something about it. But you see, again, that's relative. What, what's dangerous to I, I I keep making the, the example of, of the battle that of water is half full. You give it to one person it's half full and to the other person it's half empty. So it, it, I it's all, I, I, I mean, I, 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 and I've made this in, in, in uh, public meetings. I feel that our officials are being over-exercised, put it this way. Because I, I've put it clearly to all of them that where there is no intent, where it can be shown that a farmer was a landowner or whatever, in, in whatever it is, did something with the best of intentions and had no malicious intent, that there should be no prosecutions, that the... That the there should be engagement and maybe even a warning letter, but this idea of going for prosecution and removing what is, what is a landowner's part of his, uh, of his income is putting people in a state of fear and that's creating paralysis, which is in turn creating a danger on the road as far as I'm concerned. We, we've brought in biodiversity regulations, we've brought in, we've brought in no protection for the But, for but the just on that, as, as a farmer, do you understand the biodiversity reason and the need to protect the nesting birds? Absolutely. But I, I'll, be, I'll be very clear. I have yet to see a bird nesting on the side of the road where there's regular traffic passing because they just don't do it. Too noisy, too too much activity around. They'll, they'll, they'll go in. They'll go inside the, the ditch. They'll go. They'll go on, on the internal ditches. They will not, like you. You take any kind of a hedgerow on a narrow road where a HGV passes. It's just going to shake all the tree anyway. Yeah, that's true. That's a good. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's the, 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 there's a man by Clannacilty, and he tells me common sense. The amazing thing about common sense is it's not common at all, and legislation seems to have lost touch with common sense. And, and that's putting putting uncertainty out there. It's putting lack of clarity there. And it just needs, there needs to be a system put in place that clearly identifies that if landowners 
complies with what even he sees himself or other people report. And, and that's, that's I mean, I agree that, that where people see an issue, they should report it and it'll, it'll be dealt with from, from there as far as I, And at least it allows the landowner to have some paper trail that, that he was engaged in that, that there was an issue. Yes. At least would give him give them cover. Whereas, may, may, like, somebody can, can ring you here and say that the, the hedgerow beyond my house is out of control and the John Sullivan should cut it. But that's, that's not an official paper. If I was to go and cut it and there's no paper trail to me, I, I can be exposing myself to, one, prosecution, or two, um, a penalty on, 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 on my single payment. And that's a, that's a risk. That people, that people are allowed to take and you can understand why. Yeah, and, and Cathy's calling in about actually something I spotted on I think it was on the news last night and this is to do with the ash tree and the ash tree dieback, that disease. Yes. Cathy said, what happens to ash trees which are overhanging your house, especially with this ash tree dieback disease that's happening? What, where, where does the person go if the tree belongs to a neighbour and the neighbour is refusing to cut it down? There's also phone lines near the tree. Well, that that now becomes a very complex and and it becomes a, a legal matter. The if a tree overhangs your property, the the person where the tree where the where the tree is growing is responsible for that. Now, the ash dieback is is is, is particularly serious, as I understand it, because it, it can lead to spontaneous dropping of a branch when it gets to a certain stage of decay. Because it's the, as as I understand it, it decays from the inside. Yeah, out. and it weakens the tree. And if you get right. a, if you get any kind of a storm, any kind of a wind, it's down. That's right. But even even though without a wind, I'm told, I'm told there can be spontaneous dropping of a heavy branch. Yeah, it's quite dangerous. because <laughs> you there's how oh, they put it's not public knowledge yet, but you know, Court Michelle, the big tree in the centre of Court Michelle. I do, yeah. There are doubts that that's in difficulty. There are, there oh. are concerns that that may have to come down. Now it's a landmark of the village, but it's I'm hearing in, in the, and again, there are people just afraid that it could spontaneously drop a branch. That is a colossal tree, but it, it, it is in difficult it is in difficulty with disease. But that's replicated on farmers' lands, on public lands, and everything. And but particularly where where there is. Where this the lady that you that you're talking about, then where it's overhanging her property, the person next door is responsible for any damage that it does. And like, but repairing damage to, to me is, is is the secondary. You don't want it to happen. Just prevention is, is the most that's important. It, that's it. And that's I, it. again, if if this paralysis is out there, if that property owner is afraid to do anything, then that that's how this happens. Okay, and there's lots of people coming at this from a pedestrian or from a cyclist's uh, well, point, it, uh, point of view. Uh, the, people are saying little or no verges to walk on. Yes, but that, that, was the, that was the point I was making at the meeting. I was saying we have never had more people out walking, out cycling, and they're being put in danger because they can't stay in clo- close to, to, to the ditches. Back when I was young, those ditches used to be cut by the council at that stage twice during the summer. Yeah, not done anymore. I, I mean, I, I, I cut mine the last days of uh, the last days of February this year, and they're they're just they're out over the road again. Like it's we we have the biodiversity policy, but like again, I I just say I know, and you'll say the bees or whatever will will take the nectar from from the plants out there, but 
where does human life, where does safety come in? Okay. There has to be a balance. All right, and a text in from your fellow uh, councillor Declan Harley to say, morning Patricia, another big issue that we're having is the lack of maintenance on our roadside is the issue of Ragworth, which is yes. spreading out of control. We need a balanced approach to maintaining our roadside. Some of our roads are a danger to travel, which is now attributed to the lack of maintenance, which has to be addressed. And someone else says, it's great to hear a man with a brain speaking. That's you. She's referring to John. Uh, look at Bally, Bally McQuirk uh, Cross. Uh, it has been made safe at last and the ditches and trees were removed for safety reasons. That's from Laura. Declan, it makes a very good point there. Ragworth in particular is becoming a major issue on the side of our roads. While those hedgerows were being cut during the summer, that they weren't allowed to flower. Because they're being allowed to flower now, and they're great for biodiversity, and I know Christopher Sullivan said they're outstanding for the bees and all that, but the reality is when they flower and seed, it's multiplying the situation year after year. They, they grow every second year. So if you have a whole lot of seeds fall today, in two years' time, you You'll will have a, a massive infestation. Yeah, yeah. So th- there's that issue there as well. OK. All right. Listen, okay. uh, John, I can see the text and the phone lines hopping. This is always an issue that people have, have a view on. And they have a view on it. Exactly what you're talking about. It's from a safety uh, point of view. Absolutely. Safety is important. Yeah. And I, I, I'm, I'm quite... No, there are a number of landowners don't want to engage. But the majority of landowners and property owners would engage if there was clarity and are not putting themselves at risk. And it's unfair to, to, to expect people to put themselves at risk. There needs to be clear situation what can happen. My, my ideal scenario is, like your, your listener said there, a member of the public sees a location where there's overgrown, they report it. You can put it on my council that I it will be it will be sent around to whatever area office is required, and to let the area engineer engage with with, with the property owner, and action can be taken. And then get the that work gives, done. That gives cover to the property owner, yeah. and it, it gives the it gives the public the right to, to to lodge it, and it gives it gives a paper trail to cover people in case of risk. Okay. Because that's the big that's issue. the simple solution, John. Listen, we leave it there, and uh, no doubt we'll speak again on this issue. But in the meantime, thank you for that, and right. uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Court McSherry based uh, Councillor John O'Sullivan. Court today on C103. Sadly, yet another private nursing home has decided to close its doors due to the uncertainty around the long-term viability of the home. 68-bed nursing home in Belgooley run by a Perry Living will close within the next six months to discuss yet another closure. I'm joined once again by uh, Tig Daly, CEO of Nursing Homes Ireland. Good morning to you, Tig. Good morning, Patricia. Ah, goodness me, here we go uh, again. Are you now keeping a running total on the number of nursing homes that are closing or have closed or about to close? And what, what's the yeah. total number of beds? Yeah, I mean, as you say in your intro there, it's, it's quite shocking, really, that we're discussing yet another nursing home closure. Uh, at this point in time, in the last three years, 36 homes have closed right across the country uh, and, you know, in excess of uh, 1,200 um, older people have been displaced effectively from what is their home. And that's the real tragedy. You know, when we talk about numbers and statistics, you know, what, we've, what we often forget is that this is a person's home. Uh, many of them would have lived there for uh, definitely a number of months, if not years, uh, and to find themselves in having to, to move. They've moved from their own home initially to a nursing home and now having to move again is heartbreaking. And we've seen it across the country where uh, families and, and residents themselves and the staff you know, are distraught really at the uh, 
um, I suppose, the failure, if you like, of, of the fair deal scheme to keep pace uh, with the cost of, of providing care as, as a key element of, of this challenge. Yeah, and I know I've spoken with uh, families in the past when this has happened, when there was their nursing home was under threat of closure or, you know, the lead into it. They, mm. they scrambled to try to find another suitable nursing home in the locality can often become a huge issue. Yeah, and I think that is the, the big, the big, big issue, really. And I know HICWA, the regulator, recently highlighted that issue. And I think when we spoke previously, you and I, uh, we've highlighted that that you know, if a person is living in this case in in Belgooli or you know any part of of Cork City or County, you know they're they're familiar with the staff, they're from the local area, um, their local pharmacist, their local general practitioner. Um, you know, if the local team has won a match on a Sunday, the chances are it's discussed like, in the local home yeah, on a Monday yeah. morning. Um, so all of those issues are, are heartbreaking for people. And you're right, you know, it, it is challenging. Um, you know, securing a nursing home bed in, in Cork City at the moment is very, is very, very difficult. There is some capacity within the county. Um, I know through our own uh, organisation, Nursing Homes Ireland, we've been speaking with Silverstream Healthcare, who own a, a facility in Riverstick. Um, and I think, uh, you know, hopefully there will be some capacity within that particular home. And there's also a new home scheduled to open in Carrigaline. Uh, in uh, probably the, in the in the coming weeks. So, look, I'd be hopeful and confident that there will be sufficient capacity. You know, maybe not in the immediate environs, uh, but definitely within. You know, hopefully, um, a number of, of miles of the facility. At, at but the I, very, but at not the easy, region. not easy for that elderly person. To, it's a oh, huge no. upheaval, as you say, for them. Well, absolutely, and that's that's the big story. I mean, you know, Ty Daly can speak all day long, or you know, the political system, or the Department of Health, or the HSE. We can talk all day long about, as I said, the, the, the you know the numbers and the facts and figures. But the, you know, this is about older people. This is about individuals who are settled in a particular in, environment. Um, you know, because it can be difficult to settle in any nursing home once a person leaves their own home. So, uh, having settled in that particular nursing home, uh, in that environment, in that community. And by community, I mean community of, of staff and other residents, you know, to have to move is, is absolutely heartbreaking. Mm. And, I've, and I've, this, I've seen is, videos. this is all down to fair deal rates have simply been outpaced by impla- inflation. We've spoken about it numerous times. I've heard you yes. uh, speak on, on national radio and TV about it. Are there any plans by the government to sort this out? Yeah, I mean, I suppose we met with Minister Butler just a number of weeks ago. Um, we met our pre-budget submission. Um, and, you know, government have said to us a number of occasions that they're acutely aware of the challenges um, and that, you know, there has been marginal increases in, in the budget last year. But our call and our call has been for the last number of months has been for a dedicated stabilisation fund because clearly the uncertainty this is creating for, for families, for residents, for, for staff and providers is having a knock-on effect. Because as I've said before, if I'm a nursing home provider currently, uh, looking at the, the fair deal scheme, nothing is changing dramatically or quickly enough to deal with it. Um, and, you know, I'm being forced into a decision uh, of closure. Now, there are some other issues at play, I think, w- within Belgooli in terms of the physical environment. But again, you know, we've spoken to the minister around, you know, capital grants, for example, um, for... Um, you know, work that could be undertaken because the difficulty is that if you're going to spend, you know, a couple of hundred thousand uh, on, um, you know, upgrading a facility, um, you know, if the funding isn't there to do it, then you're forced into the position of of having to close. So, look, I I mean, I'm normally a glass half full person. I'm normally optimistic. uh, And and clearly in in our uh, sector, you have to, in the health generally, you have to remain optimistic. But I must say I am 
you know, really, really concerned over the last number of months at the relative silence of uh, of government uh, and indeed the Department of Health around this particular crisis. You know, we mentioned 36 homes across the country. So that figure is quite stark. Uh, and we engaged with PricewaterhouseCoopers recently uh, on a, a review of the sector. Over one third of all private and voluntary nursing homes uh, were lost money in 2022. Now, clearly any business, you know, could suffer a loss in any given year or year or two. But on an, on an ongoing basis, that is clearly unsustainable. And that's the position we find ourselves in, in the nursing home sector. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and I often make the point you, without adequate nursing home beds uh, available, when, you know, when you say there's a uh, Cork City could be under pressure with, with beds. The knock on effect is that people remain longer in acute beds in hospital hospitals, which costs the HSE so much more. So it's a complete that's false right. economy. Oh, 100%. And again, to bring it back to the human level, it's the wrong place. If a person has completed their acute phase of care, they should be out in the community, whether it's in a nursing home or indeed, you know, receiving home care or independent living. So you're absolutely right. It is a false economy. And, you know, I mean, nursing homes have a critical role to play as, as part of a well-functioning health service. Generally, we'd be talking about the pressures on acute hospitals in winter time. I mean, winter is pretty much all year round now. Uh, in terms of the, the, the challenges on A&E. On Schlante care is, is policy, which is a reorientation of care from acute to community. So all of the uh, things we're doing at the moment is going against that policy in some respect, because we do need a sustainable sector. And yeah, government will say there has been, and I mentioned a new home opening in Carrigaline in, in the weeks and months ahead, or the weeks ahead rather. And there has been a number of openings in the last you know, 6, 12, 18 months. But I can tell you that nobody, uh, is is currently contemplating developing new new capacity, despite the fact that we have an aging population. So while we have definitely a, a significant challenge today in terms of capacity, my fear is that in 2025, 2026, uh, it will become even more acute. Uh, in terms of availability of nursing home beds. So that's why I mentioned the stabilisation fund. The priority now for government, working with ourselves in Nursing Homes Ireland, the HSE, HICWA and all the bodies, is to stabilise existing provision. We we should have a, an absolute position that we try might and main to, to see no further closures. And at least that ensures that the existing capacity is maintained. So we're losing existing capacity. Very little is being uh, being built by way of new new facilities. So we are creating a huge, huge issue uh, in in the in the years ahead. Okay, and um, we're hearing about a meeting that is being arranged for tonight in Belgoolie. Are you aware of that? Yeah, I was speaking with Deputy Michael Collins on Saturday and um, I suppose his concern, he's been contacted by a number of families, as I understand that his concern was obviously, as we spoke of, trying to secure alternative uh, accommodation for those residents who are in uh, Belgoolie. So uh, I've been speaking with, as I said, my colleagues in the sector to see what availability is locally uh, and the home in Riverstick. So, yeah, it's my intention to attend and, and offer any, I suppose, advice or support I can give because, you know, clearly it is a very, very concerning time for, for the residents residents and families so okay and, and so a, I, and, hoped, I hope to attend okay and when we get to because we were hoping we were hoping to have Mike Collins on there but we just can't um, get through to him um, and somebody says homes that are run by the HSC don't face the same problems do they and they don't because it's a different funding model that, and that's exactly the point, uh, is that the homes from the HSE, as we've spoken of before, are receiving, on average, uh, 72% per resident per week more. 
um, number one. And number two, if there is you know, for capital investment required, uh, you know, that's funded out of the, 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 the HSE capital, in, capital budget. Whereas in our sector, nursing homes have to obviously have to build. Uh, have to get the, the finance in place, have to pay commercial rates, for example. So there's a whole ream of other costs associated with the, the private involved sector that are not there. But but the, the issue for the HSE is that their capacity has reduced over the years. Uh, nationally, they would have about 5,000 uh, beds across the country. Um, when I joined the nursing home sector a number of years ago, that was up on 9,000 beds. So, you know, they're under pressure uh, as well. And, you know, I suppose government policy has been uh, to support uh, you know, the, the, the policy position has been to increase the provision by the private and voluntary sector. Now we're in a position whereby current private and voluntary homes are closing, as I've said, uh, and very little by way of, of new capacity being added, despite the fact that people are living longer. So, you know, there's an immediate crisis today, which is, as I said, stabilise existing provision and ensure no more closures. And then we need to sit down and plan what future uh, demands uh, are required right across the country, including Cork City and County. OK, listen, uh, we leave it there, uh, Tyg. Thank you for that and uh, Thank you, thanks uh, for joining us. And, and I'm told very quickly that uh, West Cork Joel Deputy Michael Collins, I've about two minutes left here, um, is, uh, we've managed to track Michael down. He's on the line. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, um, I, uh, I, I've just been speaking, I don't know if you've heard me or not, I've just been speaking with uh, Tyg Daly, of CEO of Nursing Homes Ireland, about the closure of the home in Belgooley. It's a public meeting that's been organised for tonight. It is indeed, and and, and Ty will be in attendance tonight as well as uh, Marie Fitzgerald uh, from Apri Nursing Home, Belgoli, as well as Tom Finn from uh, CEO of Silverstream. We're trying to see, and, and I've invited the Minister also, uh, we're trying to see can we create a solution to save the Belgoli Nursing Home, but also, if not, at least what is the alternative for uh, the, 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 the residents of the, of the nursing home? You know, the six, 48 residents, uh, you're talking about 41 employees, it's a huge blow to that community in Belgoli and its surrounds. And I think clarity is needed. And I, I do appreciate that Maria Fitzgerald is coming um, from the APRI nursing home. That clarity might be given. And we must also hope that the minister might fight, uh, be there to help fight to save nursing homes. Because this is not the only nursing home that's facing a crisis at this time, Patricia. Yeah, and that is that is the fear that if we start to lose more and more nursing homes, we have an ageing population. We know we're going to have a need for more nursing home beds, not less. And as the point I made to Tyke, if that delays people getting discharged from holidays from from hospitals it's total false economy it's a very unfair situation especially you know in Belgoli you know where party families are, are affected by this well some are married couples believe it or not inside the nursing home ah, I've been in that nursing home before and it's a shocking situation that families are being left with that this faces closure but I, there's many more nursing homes facing closure in this country and the minister hasn't sat up and understood the crisis that's there she's been asleep uh, basically at the wheel and we need the minister to, to be here tonight our one of our officials said please give uh, give us uh, a sounding out there as to what she intends to do with nursing homes that are facing these crises and it's all over the place it can be West Cork once again or it could be some other part of Cork or some other part of Ireland we've had three that, that faced closure or announced closure last week but and I, I, you know, in Coleman's bar tonight, I hope at 8pm we will get the clarity that people want and at least get some solution or some ease of mind to many of the worried people in Belgooli and its OK, so it's obviously for the family members who've got loved ones in the, the nursing home in Belgooli, but it's also for people who may need a nursing home into the future or, or a family member may need a nursing home into the future. 
Absolutely. And those yeah. who are worried about other nursing homes that are in, in, yeah. in the surrounding areas, what are they facing as tight? There's a, a very good update on, 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 on what is going on at the present time. And I hope that, you know, we've, we've got a lot of speakers there, but we need some clarity too. And, okay. and the people of Scott need Okay, that, uh, so that's tonight at 8, is in it? In Coleman's Bar in Belgoli at 8, 8, 8 p.m. tonight. Okay. All right. Listen, Michael, thank you for that. And thank you for taking our call. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, West Cork Independent Dáil Deputy uh, Michael Collins. And before that, we had Tyg Daly, CEO of Nursing Homes uh, Ireland. Somebody says, Trish, the minimum wage is a eleven euro thirty cents an hour, and provision of one to one care for a person twelve hours a day, seven days a week, is eighty four hours a week. That would work out at nine euro and nine hundred and fifty euro for wages. And nursing home charges on average between a thousand and twelve hundred a week. I don't know how they pay for electricity, gas, food, insurance bills, cleaning, replacement of beds, sheets, etc. Uh, I don't know how a private nursing home actually makes uh, money. To me, the, <clears throat> the fair deal model is banjaxed. A weak funding model is now uh, needed. Uh, nursing homes need to be charging somewhere in the region of €1,500 Euro plus a week. Uh, but this won't happen as it would be political suicide to suggest it. But everybody out there needs to get serious about the cost of care for adults, elder and palliative care. It needs to be funded ASAP, ASAP and funded uh, properly. Yeah, well, as Tyke pointed out, that's the difference between a private nursing home, the funding they receive under fair deal compared to what uh, a HSE run nursing home they have two different pricing structures uh, and you're right when you say how are nursing homes making money some are not able to make money hence the reason that we're hearing uh, of so many of them closing some of your thoughts coming in uh, still getting calls in from about the wonderful Cork team and the great welcome home that they got last night the Camogie team Jim says what a great win for the Cork Camogie team and led by Captain Fantastic Amy O'Connor and if she had stuck if she had stuck to soccer she may well have been the Irish soccer team captain at the World uh, Cup and played alongside fellow Knocknaheeny player Denise O'Sullivan but everyone supporting uh, Cork and Camogie so glad yesterday that she decided to stick with Camogie as her sport and to score a hat-trick in an All-Ireland uh, final is a great feat and to score three in less than three minutes wouldn't even be equal I'd say to four Cork hurler of the 70s Eddie O'Brien. He also scored a hat-trick and was known since as three-goal Eddie. So Anne O'Connor will be remembered as three-goal Anne Anne from now on. And what a lovely, humble and down-to-earth young lady. And great to see her and Izzy O'Regan alongside the manager Matthew Toomey at Temple Street Children's Hospital yesterday. And there was actually a little girl, a patient uh, there who was from Amy's area and it made her day. I saw that on the news. Yeah, I think that's a lovely, lovely thing when they go along into the children's hospital there the following day. It's one of those lovely, lovely routines um, and it's, it's lovely to see you. So thank you for that, uh, Jim. Listener and then on a different issue says, Morning Patricia, could anybody answer me this question, please? I was at the doctor's this morning and needed to get some bloods done. It was at a GP practice in Charleville. As I was leaving, I was charged €10. Euro. I have a medical card. It's the first time I've ever been charged. I'm 75 years of age. What is going on? All I can say is you're lucky that this is the first time you've been charged. I don't know when it started, but it's certainly in maybe two, three years ago, maybe even longer. I'm trying to think when this was introduced. And it's to do 
with covering the cost uh, for the doctor's practice of getting your blood. You're not being charged to get your blood tested. That's done by the HSC and that's completely covered by the state and covered by by the HSC. You are paying the €10. It's towards the courier that comes to the GP practice to collect the bloods to bring them up to Cork City to drop them to the lab in order for them to be tested. I think, and I'm open to correction on this, I think all GP practices at this stage charge it. Some start it before others and then others kind of followed suit. So if it's the first time you've been charged, you're, you're lucky because many people have been on to us for a good number of years. I'd, I'd have to try and do some research to find out when was it uh, introduced. But certainly it's rare now at this stage if you have a GP practice that isn't charging people whether they have a medical card or not, the €10 euro towards the cost of getting the bloods to the lab, as I say, it's not towards the cost of testing of the bloods. That's covered by the state, but it's 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 the physical getting it up to the lab. 0818103103. And then a huge, and I knew it would happen, huge reaction to my chat with Councillor John O'Sullivan out of West Cork is saying something needs to be done. Common sense needs to prevail. We need to start cutting back uh, hedges. A lot of them are really, really overgrown. And I don't know where the, with the way the weather is with all the rain. Has that just made it worse this year? I've never seen hedgerows so overgrown as they seem to be this year. And we're only, and they can't be cut until uh, September. Bill in Clonakilty is worried about back to school and the school buses. And of course, school buses go in rural areas and they'll be going out on roads, some of them very narrow, with the hedges growing over on either side. He said it's going to be a huge issue in just a matter of a few weeks' time with when the new school term starts. He says he's not against the Wildlife Act, but he said to hear people saying the birds are stupid, he said birds are not stupid. They're not going to nest in a ditch that's right beside uh, the road, a noisy road side. Uh, Bill feels that the eco people uh, need to approach this situation with some common sense. Everyone seems to blame everyone else and nobody seems to want to do anything about it. But he also agrees that common sense needs to prevail. William is in y'all. William says, I gave 50 years in forestry and no trees should be left overhanging or overgrown onto the roadside. Birds, he said, will only nest in very high trees. Birds are intelligent and they will be well aware of their surroundings and they're not going to nest right beside the road. Mary then feels the Wildlife Act is there for a reason. It's there to protect the wildlife. The nesting season is from March until August and our bird population has dropped drastically. Plenty of time to cut edges during the other six months of the year. So she's very much in favour of the Wildlife Act and leave the nesting birds alone. Hi Patricia, the trees on the margin of the road across from Aldi in Mallow are way overgrown. Anyone walking on the footpath gets absolutely soaked when it rains from the leaves on the trees. Also they're growing into other people's garden walls and over garden walls which is very very unfair. Patricia, the farmers on tractors and other slow driving vehicles, they are also a risk on our roads. They need to pull in uh, when they get the opportunity, particularly if they become aware that there is a build-up of traffic accumulating behind them. It is the law and one that needs enforcing badly. These slow 
vehicle drivers can be very ignorant towards other road users for much of the time. Those who observe that law are in the minority. That needs to be called out today. Hi Patricia, the East Cork area in in the East Ferry area in Middleton is an absolute disgrace. This biodiversity and the Wildlife Act is an excuse to do nothing. Also, I think it's Ballywick Walk is overgrown. My grandson was on his bike last week and he got caught in the briars, Patricia. Somebody will be seriously hurt if they don't do something about cutting back the hedgerows. Audrey says, in my young day, the farmer would be fined for ragworth. The guard that he would call out and tell them that they must pull up the ragworth. You had to take it out of your fields anyway because cattle will die if they eat, if they eat it. And in actual fact, the sides of the road, said Audrey, seem to be worse now with ragworth. Yeah, and I did when, I think, wasn't it uh, Councillor Declan Hurley when I was chatting with John O'Sullivan put in that point about that we do have an issue with uh, Ragworth and again, there seems to be an explosion of Ragworth. If you're driving around, you will see it and Audrey is right, you will see it on the side of the roads. And Michael says, Patricia, fences along the roads should be regularly cropped back into the face of the fence. Now, Michael's suggestion is that this work should be carried out by all of the local authorities and then the councils should charge the relevant landowners, charge them by the metre and do it as a road safety measure. Some fences have never been touched by landowners and the briars and the branches are nearly shaking hands in the middle of the road. Yes, certainly some landowners are brilliant. Some are very responsible about maintaining them. Our country roads are narrow and dangerous enough without being made even more dangerous. Dangerous birds are not short of fences and hedges for nesting. I don't buy that. Thanking you, and that's from uh, Michael, who makes a point, which is a fair enough point, that our country roads were never designed for the volume of traffic that's on them anyway. At the moment, are the large, you know, the the bigger vehicles that's uh, on it, so they are narrow enough as it is. And if you make that narrow road even narrower by the ditches and the fences not being uh, cut. It is an accident waiting to happen. And then Michael is in Bantry. He says, I don't see any problem with cutting the roadside hedges all year uh, round. Environmentalists, Michael, won't agree with you on that. But Michael's theory is cut the roadside hedges all, all year round and then leave the hedges that are within the field, leave those for the birds and the wildlife. The safety of drivers, he said, must come first. The uh, wildlife, um, uh, the wildlife, the, the wildlife are very resourceful, like the birds and the bees, and they will adapt. Kind regards, and that's from Mike in Bantry. And then Margarita was on about cutting the hedges on the Clonmine Road in Bantir. Now, since the roadworks began at Ballymacquark Cross, traffic has subsequently been diverted onto the Clonmine Road. This is a very narrow road and no trucks over three tonne weight should be using it. However, Margarita's observed nine trucks travelling on this road just in the space of 10 minutes. The hedges are very overgrown in places. Some people have cut back their hedges, bordering their land for safety reasons. However, the council has made Absolutely no attempt to cut back hedges to make the road safer for road users. Margarita's son has to travel this road for work and on Friday he was forced into the ditch by an oncoming truck and his window of his car was damaged. If the council had cut back the hedges, this would have been avoided. She feels pedestrians are also in serious danger on this particular road. It's the Clonmean Road in uh, Bantir. 0818 103 103. John Paul continues to take your call. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. 
A water filtration engineer is wanted. This is in the West Cork area. You need to call 086 829 6712. A farm worker is wanted for a dairy farm that's in the Canturk area. 086 8477275. Healthcare assistants are wanted for day and night shifts. That's at Nazareth House in Mallow. Full-time and part-time positions are available. Now, applicants must have Fitech QQI Level 5 in care of the older person. CVs, please, to hr.mallow at nazarethcare.com. And stay with nursing homes, this time Araglen Nursing Home there in Bohabui. They've got a vacancy for a head chef. CVs to chris at araglenhouse.ie. And a school bus driver is required for the Kinsale Balance Spittle area. Now a D licence is necessary, 087 4799466. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. An environmental group is putting pressure on the government to ban disposable vapes and describes them as being almost advertised as candy. Stephen Byrne is project manager at Voice Island and Stephen joins me by WhatsApp this morning. Good morning to Stephen. Morning, how are you? I'm very well. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you good. Yeah, okay. Uh, Talk firstly about these disposable vapes and what they're actually made of, Stephen. Yeah, so disposable vapes are a product that have become very popular in the last couple of years. They are a vaping product, so they contain an aerosol vapour that contains nicotine. And their basic design is that after 600 puffs, they can be disposed of. And what you're seeing now that's really common is that, as you said, they have sort of candy-like or exotic flavors such as cola, berry, mango, all these kind of fruity, sweet-like flavors. Um, And what we're seeing is that they've really become an environmental issue. They're becoming more and more common as a form of litter. I think most people you talk to, um, it's very anecdotal that you walk around town in Dublin, I'm sure the same in Cork, that you're going to see these things on the streets. They almost look like sort of highlighter pens, very brightly coloured, very noticeable. Yeah, and, you know, I mentioned this earlier, the fact I knew you were you were coming on today. I particularly, uh, over the weekend, kept a lookout uh, for them and, and I couldn't believe, particularly if you look around drains, I saw them down drains, uh, for example, but they were on the side of the road. I saw them in a play park where children were just literally um, uh, dumped. And, like, if you're looking at them, it, you know, it looks like a piece of plastic. Are, are, are any parts of them recyclable? So, yeah, so the basic component of how they're made up, so they have that plastic sort of shell and then inside they contain a lithium-ion battery and electronics. So the, um, the plastic parts would be recyclable and all the electronics are in theory recyclable. However, in practice, that's, that's not the case because we read a report that in the UK, only about 700 units are recycled per week out of the millions that are sold. And this is because they have such a sort of complex makeup and they have to be... Uh, recycled by hand just because they're so intricate so in theory they are we products we products are recyclable um however in practice not really as well there is re- retail responsibility the retailers are supposed to take them back like any we product um however any sort of research or digging into that we've done uh, most oftentimes if you ask the shop owner 
what do I do with these? Do I, can I bring them back to you? They just say, sure, it's disposable. Just chuck it in the bin. And I don't think I've ever seen a sign up anywhere saying we take back. No. Yeah, yeah. But the ones that I saw in the drain over the weekend got me thinking, uh, Stephen, if there's chemicals and there are chemicals, would they leach into the environment and what kind of problems would that create? Yeah, absolutely. So because they contain um, lithium batteries and electronics, uh, they would contain harmful chemicals uh, such as mercury. And yeah, if these get into our into the soil or water sources, they can definitely have both um, dangers for diversity, but also for human health. And um, so they're really they really people should be really careful about disposing of them. And I suppose perhaps it just carries on. There's a people have a bad habit of disposing of cigarettes or cigarette butts. And I suppose that that behaviour has unfortunately just carried over to these disposable electronic items. Yeah, and when to hear you say, you know, they contain lithium and I know they contain copper, you know, they, they can be rare enough minerals which have to be mined as well. Yeah, absolutely. And especially nowadays um, with, you know, Europe, the EU has targets for um, lowering emissions. Electric vehicles are going to be man. There will be no sale of um, combustible engine cars after 2035. So lithium is now becoming a really, really in-demand product. And the EU is doing its best to secure a uh, supply of lithium. And the fact that it's being wasted on disposable products that are really not just an environmental threat, but also a public health threat, is, uh, it's, it's sad to see. Yeah, and, you know, the, the bright colours and the flavours that you mentioned uh, earlier, they really do look like something that is primarily aimed at uh, young people, even though the producers will say, well, they're only for people over the age of 18. Yeah, exactly. And it's only recently, and thankfully so, that uh, Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, has, under the... Um, tobacco and uh, nicotine bill brought in regulation that these these products can't be sold to minors and it's 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 crazy to think that that's only happened recently that before it was up to the retailer's discretion not to sell them to under 18s so the new laws enforce that they have to be you have to be over 18 to sell them and that even the advertisement and the selling location can't be anywhere near uh, schools or any events that children would be attending now a couple of people getting in uh, get, uh, questions on this Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Would it help if we had a deposit and return scheme, a couple of people are asking? 
So, so it's um, Minister Oisín Smith that is proposing to to ban these these products under environmental reasons. Okay. Um, Oisín would like to see is an outright ban. Um, we believe that these products they've just surged in popularity. Um, they have too many carry too many environmental and health threats. We'd like to see them banned. Now, his other solutions would be that there is a deposit return scheme. That would mean that um, retailers have a responsibility to take them, which they already should be doing. That should, as under we regulations, that should already be the case. Um, and then the other proposal would be that there's going to be an extended um, producer responsibility so that the producers of disposable vapes would have to pay in for the waste collection. Um, I think it's already shown that those latter two options uh, haven't worked. As I said, they should already be collected by retailers. I think Voice's stance is that an outright ban is the best case scenario for both public health and the environment. Because there are reusable electronic cigarettes as opposed to these disposable vapes. There are reusable and, you know, reusable have been around for many years. Um, Voice aren't a public, we aren't a health organisation, so we won't comment on the effectiveness of whether they're a good um, alternative to to smoking traditional cigarettes or whether they're good for quitting. But they, they do exist. And certainly from a waste point of view, uh, they're far more sustainable because they can be used again and again. Yeah, because, you know, the argument that's always made whenever we mention anything about banning of uh, disposable vapes, the argument is, oh, well, they help, it helps people uh, to give up uh, cigarettes. So there is a role to play. But your argument would be, well, use the reusable ones. Yeah, and it'd be great to see Ireland acting as an international leader, you know, Historically, we have been. We were the first country in the world, I believe, to ban them cigarettes in the workplace. So that was banning them in pubs, banning in cigarettes. Um, Australia, I'd say, have been a great leader. They have they have done an outright ban on disposable vapes, which is great to see. Uh, so it'd be great to see Ireland follow suit and perhaps be a leader even in a, in a European Union context. OK, and, and other countries are doing their bit. I know Australia is really pushing back against vaping products. Yeah, so as I said, so they've done an outright ban on disposable vapes and even on the, the reusable vapes, they've brought in slightly stricter regulations, especially around the flavours, just again, so it, it's not attracting um, adolescents and young people because re- research in Ireland has shown that about one in five uh, people, uh, young people in schools are now disposable vape users and that has become twice as common as traditional smoking. So certainly the flavours are, are quite problematic. And that is the real worry. If you stand outside any school gates, you'll see because you, you'll actually see the puffs of the vapes over people's heads. And there's, there's a lot of people using it. Actually, one person saying, uh, my 17 year old daughter is completely addicted. She never smoked. She's completely addicted to these uh, disposable vapes. But you see, they contain nicotine and nicotine is highly addictive. It is addictive. And it's a shame to see that this Ireland has done so much work on the public health fund. Smoking rates were going down. And nicotine consumption was down. Uh, these products, they kind of came out of nowhere. I think over COVID, we really saw a surge in popularity. And yeah, all those great numbers that were um, shown that nicotine consumption was down uh, seem to be going back in the wrong direction. OK. All right. Listen, we leave it there. Uh, Stephen, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Stephen Byrne, who is a project manager at the environmental group Voice Ireland, looking for a complete ban 
on uh, disposable uh, vapes. Uh, your thoughts welcomed but as I say if you do start to keep a lookout for them these little plastic uh, it looks like it, they, they do like a little they look like a little highlighter pen I think that's a good description that's, that Stephen uh, gave you'll see them they literally are all over uh, the place we, we need to do something just purely from the environmental uh, point of view because even on that uh, deposit and return scheme even if we were to get everybody to hand back in these disposable uh, vapes it's the recycling of them it's what, it was what do we then do with them it's just too costly to break them all down because they're a little sealed unit to break them all down into you know recyclable parts seems to cost more then, then um, it's just not worth it. I, th- I think is what's is what what's coming through. And then, what's the alternative? We send them to be incinerated, or we send them to landfill. And then you think about lithium that's in them and copper that's in them, which are proving to be rare enough metals. And we've got a mind for the mine for those uh, metals. It does seem crazy for something uh, like a disposable vape, which isn't really of uh, of any use uh, to somebody, other than it can. Uh, you know, I hundred percent say that vaping can help people. I give cigarettes but there are reusable vapes so maybe that's what we need to be pushing more than the disposable ones. 0818 103 103 and a listener, John is reacting to the listener who contacted us from Charleville who got a bit of a shock this morning when he went in to get bloods. He was charged 10 euro for the bloods that he's never been charged before and he's a man in his 70s and he's got a medical card couldn't understand it. John says would you ever tell that man in uh, Charleville that he's lucky he only got charged a tenner. Now I don't know where John is, is calling from but John says uh, where I get my bloods done at my GP practice we are charged 20 euro. Uh, so tell him he is very, very lucky. Joe Bandon wants to raise the issue of milk prices for farmers. He said farmers at the moment are um, not at the moment. Back in July of 2022, so little over a year ago, farmers were roughly getting 60 cent a litre for a litre of milk. Roll forward a year. Farmers today are getting around the 43 cent a litre mark. So that works out at a 30% drop in milk prices. And that's just from one year. Farmers are really struggling. And I suppose that's um, a point when we were talking about farmers going out, cutting back the hedges and all of that and fearful that they would get fined in any way. Farmers, dairy farmers in particular, really are uh, struggling. Matt in Mallow on vape. When you go back to refill your vape, the person in the shop should take it from you and they should be responsible for recycling it. Uh, we don't, we, the disposable ones we're talking about, that's the point Stephen Byrne made. They are under the we. So wherever you buy your disposable vape from, they should be able to take it from you. But I've certainly never seen a sign up uh, anywhere. Maybe it does go on in some areas. I don't know. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a sign up for it. On nursing homes that we spoke about and yet another nursing home, this time it's one of our own in uh, Belgooley that we are losing. This uh, text, no name on this says, Patricia, what really infuriates me when you hear of a nursing home closing and then it reopens as a refugee centre. The worst thing about that is the government then will fund the owners of the former nursing home, they will fund that nursing home to operate as accommodation for refugees. I have no problem with refugees coming into this country, the legitimate ones, but please not at the expense of our older people who have 
given so much to this uh, country. Patricia, why are we turfing out our elderly? It's all about greed. Well, I know they brought in new regulations around that, that if a nursing home does uh, close, there's a period of time where it can't reopen to house uh, refugees. And they did it for that reason because they were fearful that some nursing home operators who perhaps were running on very tight margins and weren't making a lot of profit or were just about breaking even, some of the nursing home providers felt that they probably could, could make more money as a refugee centre. But I know there was a changing. I'll have to uh, uh, check it out for you to get the actual timeline. But there is a timeline from when a nursing home closes to where it can operate as a refugee uh, centre. But it would be absolutely shocking if a nursing home owner genuinely closed for that reason, for the for the for the only reason of reopening as a refugee centre to make money. That would really sadden me that we would have any operators even contemplating that. Now, Laura Lynn is Ireland's only children's hospice and it provides hospice and palliative care and support for children with life-limiting conditions and indeed for their families from all across Ireland. By way of a thank you to Laura Lynn for the care of their little baby daughter, Grace, the Keane family from Dublin, will this weekend undertake a 250 kilometre cycle from Dublin to Cork and in advance of the fundraiser Gavin Keane the dad uh, joins me. Good morning to you Gavin. Good morning Patricia how are you? I'm very well and and it's great to have you on the programme and what I really love about the idea is that the cycle will start with Laura Lynn in Dublin and it will end up with us here at the satellite service in Mallow in Cork. Were those starting and ending points important to you Gavin? Yeah, absolutely, Patricia. Um, when we when we spent our time in Laura Lane, uh, we learned that they were setting up a new satellite service in Mallow, and we basically wanted to connect the two and just you know back that and show our support as much as possible, um, so that Laura Lane can provide you know much needed care to children with life limiting conditions and our families in the southwest of Ireland. So you know the the, the start and finish points of our of our fundraiser was um, that was uh, massively important to us. It's only uh, when your life is touched by a baby or a child with a life-limiting diagnosis, it's only then that you realise how important Laura Lynn uh, is. Can can you talk to me, Gavin, about how how they helped your family? Absolutely. Um, When we were there with our little girl, Grace, uh, God bless her, um, it was it, it was a difficult time, but they just did absolutely everything for us, and we're just so thankful to them. Um, we we've got some of the greatest uh, stories and memories that we could ever wish for, um, and spent some of the most amazing times with our daughter Grace and Laura Lynn. Um, and before we got there, you know, we didn't actually know much about the Laura Lynn um, and the service that they provide. But when we got there, and just to see the work that the people do there, it's just absolutely incredible. Um, and we're just forever grateful to them. Um, not only myself and Amy, but our, our, ex- our extended families, like Grace's grandparents and our aunties and uncles, they all got a chance to come in and just spend time with Grace and, you know, just to comfort her and, and to also build their own memories. So it's just it's just an amazing service that they provide. And, and like that, like I said, me and Amy are just forever, forever, you know, thankful to them. And, you know, we just want to support them now and, and just give something back to them just to just to say thank you. Well done. Well done. And uh, Grace was was one of triplets. Yeah, so in August 21, my wife Amy gave birth to three little girls, um, Cara, Grace and Chloe. Um, and now sadly, when Grace was two weeks old, um, she was um, she 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 fell she fell uh, severely ill, and um, the the doctors in the hospital they they kind of told us there and then that Grace was was going to live a very short life, um, 
and they introduced it to Laura Lane, and that's how we kind of, you know, en- ended up going to Laura Lane. And um, now, now Grace, she she surprised everyone, you know, being the little angel that she is. Um, and and she gave us three months, uh, you know, of our life where we were just able to build memories and just to to have them, you know, pictures that we have in the house now, and you know, to have them kind of times that we can talk about with our family of the time that we spent with Grace. So, yeah. you know, and that that again, it's just it's all to do with with Laura Lane and how how they looked after us and. Um, it's it's just we've you know since we kind of since say Grace has passed um you know we've we've stayed in constant uh, contact with Laura Lane and um, because we get great comfort uh, from that and um you know just to to try give something back to them we we came up with the idea there last January that look with the new satellite service being set up in Mallow to provide you know this care to to, to children with life limited conditions and their families in the southwest you know let's just get behind that and and support that as much as we can. Yeah, and in an ideal world, uh, Gavin, we would have a Laura Lynn hospice dotted all over the country, wouldn't we? Absolutely, yeah. And it's something that we really need, you know. And I think that's, you know, when me and Amy were, were in Laura Lynn and Leopardstown, we just we just found how lucky we were that <clears throat> Laura Lynn Hospice was, was pretty much on our doorstep. You know, we're only from Blanchardstown, which is only 25 minutes spin to, to Leopardstown. Um, but we... we we got to know families that were there that were traveling up to Laurelin from Cork or Limerick or Kerry to use the Laurelin service. And we just, I remember myself and Amy talking one day while we were at Grace, just thinking how difficult that must be on the families that they have to travel so far away from their homes just to avail of the service. And like you said there, you know, you know, we, we do need these hospices all around the country. And that's why when we heard Laurelin were setting up a satellite service on Mallow, we were delighted by it because we've, we've, we've seen the, the care that they provide. And we're delighted to know that the families in the southwest of Ireland would be able to avail of this care. Um, and that's that's basically what, what we're trying to support. Yeah, and it's it's really, Gavin, just a coincidence that I'm talking with you today because I actually uh, spent much of the bank holiday weekend with a really, really good friend of mine. Her little 11-year-old boy sadly uh, passed away from cancer at the weekend and Laura Lynn and that satellite service you're talking about were just, were incredible. And what what I think is amazing is this wraparound service. It's not just the care for the little one, but it's mm. it's the entire family, isn't it, that, that, that gets love and, and support and care from Laura Lynn? Oh, it is. Yeah. Like, like Grace was looked after unbelievably well. But like you said there, so was myself and Amy and so were uh, our, our two daughters, Karen and Chloe and our little boy, James, as well. Um, and like that, even, you know, I have a sister, Ashing that lives out beside the Laura Lynn Hospice. And um, every morning before work, Ashing was able to pop in and see Grace, you know, yeah. and spend time with her. And Ashing got great comfort out of that, you know, and was able to, able to spend time with Grace because we knew that time was limited. Um, and as Laura Lynn said themselves, you know, it's about making every day count. And, and that's what they certainly did for us. Yeah, yeah. And again, people will be unaware they don't get full state funding. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, they, you know, they rely prim- primarily on, you know, fundraising income. Um, and that's why, you know, we're, we're trying to do our fundraiser. Um, and I'm delighted to let you know, Patricia, there over the weekend, we actually uh, just passed the 50,000 uh, euro mark uh, for, for funds that were raised. I spotted you know, it so yesterday. Just, <laughs> yeah, I spotted so it yesterday. Um, it's incredible. It's it's absolutely amazing, and to, to support that, myself and Amy and our family are after getting from all our friends and 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 our, our, you know our, our colleagues and work just getting behind us and and raising funds for this fundraiser is just absolutely amazing. Okay, like, tell, people are just so good. Tell me about the plan for the cycle. 
Yeah, so on Friday, we're meeting out in Laurel Inn in Leopardstown, and we plan to take off from there. There'll be 27 cyclists, um, and we'll head to Kilkenny, um, so about 125-kilometre cycle. Um, we'll stop in Kilkenny, and then on the Saturday morning, we'll leave Kilkenny, and uh, uh, we'll be heading down the road towards Mallow. Um, so we've got, like, there's a great there's a great buzz there, you know, around the area. People are getting in and support us, and we're getting messages of, you know, best of luck and stuff for like that. And, um, and 20, we're really looking forward to it now. So. Is that just family members and friends? Uh, yeah, 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 mainly family members and friends. Yeah, yeah. So that'd be um, great. More colleagues as well. Yeah. So and the big question really now: how how fit are you? Uh, I don't know. I yeah, <laughs> uh, we actually went out for a cycle there on Sunday now, and it was a bit. Uh, I got a bit of a surprise, all right. So I've, I've, I probably have a bit of work to do. But look, we, we have a great group of 27 people coming down with us. And, you know, we've also, I, I, we're just going to make sure we, we have as much fun as we can going down the road yeah. uh, just to keep everyone's kind of mind just that, you know, this is just a, it's an event to, to, so people can enjoy themselves. And, um, you know, the, the fundraising, it, it's it, the effort that everyone's put in. It's it's incredible. Um, but we'd be, we'd be just looking to make sure that we get down the road, have, have fun get down the road safely as well. You know? Yeah, there'll be tired legs by the time you arrive, but you'll you'll, you'll get you'll get over that. And people yeah. can it's a, it's an I donate page. Yeah, um, yeah. So we have an I donate page set up, and it's called like if people are to search on Google the gift of grace fundraiser. Um, it, it pops up. It's the first page on I donate that pops up, um, and we'd really appreciate if anyone could could uh, donate to our page. And um, it'd mean a lot to myself and Amy and our family and friends. Um, and and, and we would just like to thank everyone who have donated so far. And um, like I said, the support has been incredible, and it's just something that we're blown away by altogether. You know. Yeah, and little little baby Grace will be very proud of of Mammy and Daddy and uh, Cara and Chloe. They're coming up to their second birthday now, are they? That's right, yeah. yeah, and and that's the that's the reason why we're doing it this weekend as well. So Cara and Chloe will be two years old this Saturday. Ah, um, yeah. So it'd be it'd be great second year birthday as well. And we said that you know that's a nice weekend to do it, you know, and um, just a, another reason just to, to think of Grace and um, you know. Um, you know, we will we, we'll, we'll, uh, obviously it's it's a, it's a sad time, um, but look, Grace is with us every day, you know, and we can we can definitely feel her, and um, we just you know we just want to make sure that we're we're kind of giving back to Laurelin for everything that gave, they gave gave to us. Yeah, and Grace will never leave you; she'll be in your hearts forever. Listen, you, um, yeah. Gavin, we leave it there. Thank you for that, and thanks That's for joining great, us. Patricia. Could I just make a special mention to a little boy there in Dublin, um, Charlie Cullen. Um, Charlie's doing amazing uh, fundraiser himself where he's doing the locks of love. And um, I was actually just checking Charlie's page there this morning. And the, the young the young lad, I think he's only 12 years old himself, has, has raised nearly 11,000 euros on his own. And I just think that's uh, an amazing for a young lad of his age to, to be doing that. So and what's he Charlie. doing? What's he doing that for? Uh, Laura Lynn oh, he's for as Laura well. Lynn as well. Okay, exactly. Yeah. All right, yes, we'll yes. we'll we'll check that out. Listen, Gavin, thank you, and um, have a have a great cycle as well. Because as you say, it's about fun as well. God bless. Uh, thank take you, care. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Gavin Keane and the idonate.ie, uh, the gift of grace uh, fundraiser, and it's for the fantastic work of Laura Lynn. Please, somebody says, Patricia, it makes me so mad listening to your interview with uh, that dad, Gavin Keane, and uh, the fundraiser they're doing for Laura Lynn. This is, it makes me so mad to think the government are not funding services for seriously ill children. It's a disgrace. Can I wish good luck to that wonderful family and may God bless them and God rest their little daughter, uh, Grace.
I think I'm, I'm open to correction. I just did a quick look there on um, on Lorlin on, the, on their own website. I think I read somewhere that it's about 30% funding they get from the state. So the rest then has to be fundraised. It's incredible when you think of the work that Laura Lynn does. It's the only children's hospice that provides, you know, palliative care for children with life-limiting con- con- conditions. But as I made the point to Gavin, it, it, it's not just the, about the child, it's about supporting uh, the family as well, like the, the other siblings all need uh, support. Uh, so they support them as well. And all of their care, all the hospice care that they give is free to families. Now they have the one actual physical building in Leopardstown in uh, Dublin. But then they've just, as we spoke about it earlier in the year, when they've opened up this satellite service in uh, Mallow, which is going to help so many families uh, here in the South. So they're just, it's incredible what they do. But but, uh, yeah, you're right. It's just something seems wrong, doesn't it, about a hospice service that is providing end of life care to these little ones and that they have to go out and fundraise. fundraise is, yeah, I, I, it doesn't sit with me either. I'd have to agree with you on that. Why they are not fully funded by the state, I, I will never know. 0818 uh, 103 103. By the way, I saw a question come in for Annalise Drussell and uh, people confusing today thinking it's Monday. It's not, it's Tuesday. So Annalise will be back with us next week, but I've made a note of your question and uh, we'll hold it and I'll put it to Annalise when she joins us next week. A couple of people on, still on about vaping. A number of people are questioning um, and others notice this, when you're inside in bars and restaurants, uh, you will see people uh, vaping. Why is this allowed to happen? That should be banned. Some places will have signs up saying no vaping, but does it mean that it does, it, does it go on? Yes, it, yes, it does, but you will see signs in some places uh, with, where it says you know, no smoking, uh, no vaping. And the girls in Mallow says well done to Stephen from the environmental group that we spoke with who want a complete ban on the disposable vapes. Uh, the girls in Mallow also thinks, think it's disgraceful when you go into a lot of restaurants and pubs where vaping is allowed. 0818 103 103. We need to take a break. We have news at 12 midday coming your way and we're going to be talking about happiness in the next hour with uh, Joe Hef. Some of your thoughts coming in on getting your bloods done and having to pay for it, kicked off by a charitable gentleman who had to pay for his bloods for the first time ever uh, today. He had to pay uh, 10 euros. I was explaining it towards the career cost to get it from your GP practice up to the city. Nora says where uh, again a, a number of people have pointed this out that a lot of, of GP practices are now charging 20 euro not 10 euro and the man is lucky he's only been charged uh, a tenner. So Nora says yes I pay 20 euro for my bloods at my GP practice. Now according to Mary her sister was paying 10 euro at her GP practice. Then her sister decided decided to go straight to CUH and get her bloods done there with no charge and CUH send the bloods back to her GP practice with no cost and I'd love to know uh, are many others doing that and how do you go around doing that? How do you go around getting your bloods done? Now that wouldn't suit everybody because everybody mightn't have the means uh, would pay the 10 euro rather than having to go to the city to get the bloods done and the cost involved in that but I've, that, I haven't come across that before but Nora's adamant that's what her sister is uh, doing on roads and traffic on our roads and the hedgerows and all of that that we have been discussing all morning. Mary said yesterday she was in a Cork town, it shall remain nameless. Two tractors drove down through the main street, Mary said, really at high speed. She said there was lots of people around Bank Holiday Monday and she said the main street was actually packed. She said the speed of these two tractors was unbelievable 
real. And she said, watching it, she said, if one person had just stepped out onto the road, there would have been a fatality. She said, people need to realise when driving big machinery, particularly when they're out in built up areas, that they really do need to uh, slow down. And Trevor in Bandon says in his housing estate where he lives in Bandon, there's amount of speeding cars constantly entering the estate. He's caused for traffic calming measures and for at least a 30 kilometre sign to be introduced into the state. But nothing has happened so far. Now, I don't know why are they, you know, that words, are they using it as a rat run? Is it a shortcut to somewhere else? Why are they entering the estate or are they people... If there are people living in the state, then shame on them for driving in at high speed. Because if it's a housing estate, you assume there'll be a mix of families and there could be children and small children. And, you know, I know we're not exactly having summer weather, but you, whenever I'm in an area where you, this, where you know children live, you, you know, a ball will come out from behind a car. And what follows very quickly is a child who doesn't look uh, left or right. So that sounds really, really dangerous indeed if it is in, as you, uh, Trevor, describe it, in a housing estate. And then a listener said when we were talking about, somebody was complaining about the agricultural machinery on the road and how it's driving slow, not the speeding not the speeding traffic that Nora witnessed uh, yesterday but um, when it's driving slow and there's a build up of cars behind and you know they should pull in and, and, and all of that and why don't they do it and people get frustrated and that's where on a rural road you'll have somebody taking a chance they might overtake four or five cars to get past a tractor that's up the front slowing down the tractor uh, WhatsApper said I don't think there is a law there it's up to the driver themselves to pull in the person who's either driving slowly or the person in the agricultural uh, tractor or whatever, or combine harvester, or whatever they're driving on the road. And this WhatsApper said, I asked a guard about it once and I was told that there actually isn't a law on the statute books that you must pull in if you were driving slower than, and there's a build-up of traffic behind you. So I did a quick search during News at 12. Now I found a piece, it is back from 2015, so I don't know if it has been updated since or there was any changes in laws, even though I don't remember thinking or hearing of any changes in laws. But it's an article that was written by Agrinant and they were talking about traffic tailbacks behind tractors, particularly during the summer months. And it's commonplace and you see it all over the country. And it says in this article, the issue can be one of the greatest areas of friction between the farming and the non-farming community. From the farmer's point of view, driving on the road with the tractor is sometimes a necessary part of the job and they, they feel, are as entitled as anybody else to use that road. However, for those from a non-farming background, being stuck in a traffic jam caused by a slow-moving tractor can be hugely frustrating. And they would argue, argue that the farmer should pull in much more regularly than they do. Now, according to this article, the Road Safety Authority say there's no specific rules in this area. Clearly, farmers have to follow the rules of the road when driving, it says. But there's no specific rule or law, which is what our WhatsApp is saying, which states that they must pull in and let traffic pla- pass. The Gardaí say, while there's no legal obligation on a driver of a slow moving vehicle. If you do look up the rules of the road they do say a traffic anybody driving a tractor or other farm machinery you should keep left to allow faster traffic pass but it doesn't specifically state you should uh, pull in. And then this article reference a story that I do remember it was from County Mayo back in 2014 where a farmer was fined 300 euro and banned for driving 
for a year for causing an excessive tailback. The driver in question caused a seven kilometre tailback on a national primary road involving between 80 and 100 vehicles. But the reason he got caught was one of the people caught in that tailback was a member of Angarda at Shia Corner. The driver had given absolutely no consideration on the uh, road and the Garda eventually caught up with the person driving at the front and, and I'm assuming they were in some kind of a tractor or in some kind of a vehicle that couldn't be uh, overtaken and that person went to court 300 euro fine and banned for driving for a year but as I say can't find anything on the statute books to say it is illegal I think again we're back to it's a little bit of common sense and common decency and in fairness most when you're out and about on the roads I do think you know most farmers who are driving agricultural machinery, most of them will do the right thing and will, if there's a gate or whatever where they can pull in, uh, most people will 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 do that. 0818103103. This is on housing. And I'm also assuming this is spurred on by when I was talking about the Laura Lynn Children's Hospice and how they're not completely funded uh, by the state and the state really some sick children and a dying child it should be, that service should be absolutely 100% funded. And somebody says, Archibald Patricia, didn't we have our own President Michael D. Higgins in a speech a few months ago outline how we have a moral duty to house Ukrainians? And so we do. But does he think... We that we do we not have a moral duty to be housing our own homeless people, our, our very sick children that you spoke about with Laura Lynn. Politicians were elected by citizens of this country to look after same and help those we can. After that, then we, then we can look after others, but we should be looking after our own first. What parents would feed a star, starving family down the road and let their own family starve it's a similar situation when you look at what our government is currently doing. The Irish were bullied by the English in this country for many, many years and in times gone by. I feel now the new English are the Irish politicians. They like the idea of glory for themselves in the eyes of foreigners, for which all the stops are pulled out. But similar isn't done for the Irish who are most in need. Can we ask why of some of our politicians? They are accountable to those who elect them. They are failing homelessness and they're failing the less well-off big time. And by the way, when you're discussing bloods and the charges for bloods, I know a GP who charges €40 euro for bloods from an old age pensioner. That's, and that's expensive. That's certainly the highest one I have ever heard. Uh, for somebody to get their bloods done. 0818103103. James says, I pay €10 euro for my bloods at my GP practice and my friend who's with another practice doesn't get charged at all for the bloods. OK, I was wondering how many GP practices are still not charging, so there are obviously some. Anyway, James says, recently I had to go to my own GP for a dressing to be changed and I was charged €50. Euro. I was told that this new charge came in since last January. I did not notice any signs around the place telling me I feel patients should be told this while in at the doctors and not when you're leaving via the reception. Only last week after a fall I had to get stitches again. It was a €50 charge and James, by the way, is a medical card uh, patient. So if you get other procedures that are not covered by the medical card, I'm assuming that's what the issue is. And, And I know there are going to be the other thing with, with with people going to the GP, the issue that we constantly hear about is people trying to get a same day appointment can be almost impossible at a lot of GP practices um, because they're, they're, they literally are swamped. So um, 
and that's going to get worse because come September, I think it's six and seven year olds now will be free to the GPs and that's going to put extra pressure on the, the GPs, the GP services. But obviously the GP practice, it is as a practice, it is a business as well. And under the medical card, you don't get paid per appointment. You get paid. It's, it's a one off fee, whether the person goes once a month or goes 10 times a month. It doesn't matter. They get a monthly fee per for every medical card patient that they have on their books. So obviously, if there are other procedures that need to be done that take additional time, the GPs are feeling that's not covered under the general medical card scheme and they're starting to charge from it. But I do think, James, you're right. I do think if you have a medical card and you're going along for something like that, getting a dressing changed or having to have stitches done or having to have something done, I think it should be pointed out to you. I do think that's a bit unfair that as you're exiting, as you're leaving the GP practice, that you're informed by the receptionist that you have a bill. So I, I certainly would agree with you uh, on that one. 0818-103-103. Our lines are open. Can I just, for fear that the show runs away with me, and I don't get a chance to mention it. There's a gorgeous story. Now, I spotted it up on social media across the weekend. And lovely to see that the Echo have picked up on it today. It's one of those kind of sweet stories. It's out of uh, that wonderful toy shop on Paul Street, Pinocchio's Toy Shop. They received a package, a little package in at the post and they put it up on their social media, pictured the envelope. Quite clearly, you could see it was written by a child and it was a young customer who simply signed his name Oliver. Didn't give his address, didn't give his surname, but he sent the package containing an apology letter and a marble. You know, the little glass marbles and he sent it back to the toy show. The young stole the marble from the shop but he decided that he had to come clean about it. So the letter reads, Dear owners of Pinocchio's Toy Shop, I have stolen an item from your shop. I swear I will never ever do something like this ever again. My sincere apologies. Uh, Oliver and the owner of uh, Pinocchio's uh, Wyan Stanfield admitted that the contents of the package actually made him smile. He said normally if somebody steals something small from us we'll never ever see it again. He said you'd occasionally get the odd parent who will force a child back in, make them apologise and make them hand back in you know lesson well learnt. The parent will frog match them uh, back in but I think this was the first to have the marble posted uh, back and he said often what can happen is it's unintentional a child might have something in their ha- in their hand and might walk out of the shop and not realise that they've gone out of the shop uh, with it but he, he feels looking at the wording of this letter and how this little boy has written the letter uh, he believes he will never forget the ordeal and it's a brilliant life lesson for young uh, Oliver and you know kudos to the parents he said it is a nice piece of par- parenting and when he was asked by the Echo is Oliver now barred from the toy shop uh, he said he's well Welcome back. He's definitely welcome back anytime. It takes a real man to step up and apologise like that. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Now there's a used clothes collection in uh, Gagan Hall. It's going to be on Thursday of this week. Now it's from half six until eight o'clock. Also tickets will be available at the clothes collection, 15 euro each. That's for the community barbecue. Now the community barbecue is scheduled for Sunday the 27th. Fingers crossed for a fine day from one in the afternoon. So remember if you're in Gagan, save the date. The next Nazareth House lotter draw that will take place on Thursday 
at three. Nazareth House would like to thank people for their continued support for the residents and staff of uh, Nazareth. Kayleigh sets will go on in Marion Hall in Ballinhasic on Friday night. Half nine start. Music this Friday is by Nelly O'Connor. Admission 10 euro and that does include teas. And the 2023 West Cork Pool League final will be held on Friday night in the Harbour Bar in Lepp and it's between the Ellen Bar from Skibbereen and Kitty Max from Ring. Play will start at 9pm. And the 11th annual Mick O'Regan Memorial Motorcycle Run, that's in aid of Pieta House, that's going ahead next Saturday. It will leave from Butterfant at half past 12. But please note the registration will open in Kit Roach's Bar from half past 10, where refreshments then will be available after the run. Now, entry is by donation, please. And everyone is very welcome to come along. Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Today on C103. And in the last hour, I'm just looking online, a huge, huge crowd has turned out on the seafront in Bray for the funeral cortege of uh, Sinead uh, O'Connor. And I mentioned earlier that somebody had said it's like our Princess Diana uh, moment that everyone will remember where they were when they heard the news of the passing of Sinead O'Connor and looking at some of the photographs uh, from the slow procession down uh, with uh, Sinead's coffin down the seafront. People are throwing flowers at the hearse just like they did for uh, Princess uh, Diana so that uh, it's winding its way down the seafront in Bray as a nation remembers uh, the wonderful Sinead O'Connor. On the cost of blood side Patricia, this, this very morning I've just paid €30 euro to have my blood taken by a practice nurse at a city GP practice. There's not much mileage in having my bloods delivered to the lab bearing in mind that I am in the city. Uh, hi, this is Anthony in Limerick. 25 euros to have bloods done in Limerick who also wants to reference the story from Pinocchio's uh, toy shop and that little boy Oliver who wrote the letter and apologised and returned the marble that he stole. Uh, just beautiful, the honesty of that, young, of that little youngster says uh, Anthony. It might be an example to others showing a good example of returning and ex- simply accepting that it wasn't uh, right. Hi Patricia, on this issue of paying to have your bloods sent by courier up to the lab, I'm just wondering... If 10 people or more have their bloods done all on the one uh, morning and they're not making a profit out of the, the couriers. Are, I, I don't know how that works. I absolutely don't know how that works, whether there's just one vial of blood going or whether, as you say, if there's 10 people going and they're charging €20, euro, that's €200 euro versus the one is €20. Euro. Uh, yeah, I really have no idea. I have no idea how that works. And then high on slow moving traffic on the roads. Mary says, Patricia, I was coming from Limerick on Sunday evening and I wasn't far out from Charles and there was a cyclist on the road. He looked behind to see that there was a lot of traffic building up behind him. He got off his bike at a gate to let all the traffic go by him. So there are very good people out there when they're conscious that there's a build up of traffic behind. The cyclist got off his bike to let the traffic pass. Well done to that cyclist. 0818 103 103. Let's take a break and we are back chatting with Joe Heffernan. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's 
Lawrence McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And we're off to Bohabui where Joe Heffernan runs a counselling uh, practice and Joe joins me on this Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And, and you're very welcome. And today we're going to be discussing uh, happiness. And I wasn't aware of this until I mentioned we were going to be talking happiness with Ken on the breakfast show this morning. And he said, did, did we know that today is Happiness Happens Day, which I didn't know. But Happiness Happens Day is on the 8th of August every year. And happiness is what people want most out of life. And I think all of us would agree with that. Absolutely, even though I'm just after being tuned into Sinead's funeral there now and that. and um, uh, But, you know, um, uh, we, 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 need, we need some happiness in our lives. Um, it's, uh, I, I suppose it's, the, um, it's, it's totally necessary, hope and happiness. Um, where would we be without them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and there are times in your life where you can't find happiness. And, you, and, 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 you know, I think it's right. It's what most people want out of life. Sometimes you've got to go search for it. Absolutely. And I mean, what we might talk about then today would be like the things that might bring us some happiness. Um, they're kind of generic, um, but um, they can apply to everyone. They can apply to each one of us. Like um, uh, one of the things, uh, there's a kind of, um, I've been doing my research on it and there's a a sort of list of things that can enhance happiness in our lives or bring some happiness into our lives, even if we're going through um, not a great time. So the first one would be to put some time and effort into your relationship with those that you love. Now, that can be, a grandson, a granddaughter, um, a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, someone that you love um, naturally in a relationship, um, in a marriage, um, to, put, to put time and effort into the relationship with those that you love. Because it will, it will pay off. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, these are the things that bring us joy. And... Um, uh, the, the another one then is to engage frequently with good genuine friends and i think that's very important i think every one of us in life um, it is great to have a friend that we can depend on that if we were in trouble in an hour's time and made a phone call that within reason and if it was possible that they would that respond and would, be here with yeah, us. Yeah, that person would, would, would come running. And and sometimes yeah. your life can get busy and you can be, you can, you can not quite lose friendships, but you, you don't stay in contact. And, yeah. And, and that's, you know, and that's, that's, it's important to keep those contacts. It absolutely is. And they can change down through the years too. I mean, it mightn't be someone, as they say, I went to school with, but it could be someone that I met along the way and who brought, um, I suppose, good feelings into my life. Um, You know, uh, it can be someone with a sense of humour. It can be someone who is um, helpful. 
It can be someone who would give a, a listening ear when things are not great and we want to talk to someone um, about it. And another one of the, um, uh, if you'd call them tips about happiness, um, would be to find meaningful work, either paid or voluntary. Now, those who are in jobs that they really, really like and that help people, and if you think about it, there are very few jobs in the world that don't help people. I mean, mm. you know, no matter what we're doing, when you think deeply about it, it does help other people. It might be it might be far out there, but still, um, it's there. As against, I mean, we'll say healthcare workers now who would be involved at a very um, uh, close um, uh, proximity uh, to to people that they were being helpful to. Yeah, 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 and and you know, it, and to find meaningful, I I always think if you can do a job that you enjoy, it 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 takes away that work part of it. It doesn't like I love what I do, so it never quite feels like work. I mean, I'm lucky that I get paid to do it, but but you know what I mean. I get a satisfaction out of it, and you know, I'm not one of those people that get out of bed in the morning and go, oh God, I've got to go in there again. And it must be awful to be stuck in that kind of a rut. And a job that you absolutely detest and you just, you just get nothing out of it. And you could understand how somebody wouldn't be happy if they were doing a job that they really didn't like. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if your Saturday and your Sunday are, are full of anxiety about the fact that you're facing in again to that particular job on Monday morning, um, you know, I, I suppose life is too short and one should very, very seriously look around um, and maybe uh, change that. Yeah. Um, sometimes we can and sometimes we can't, but we should definitely try. Yeah, yeah. And um, then, then the other one I like is to, to do voluntary work. Yeah. People who help other people are people who are kind to other people. Whatever the other person gets out of it, the, the, the doer, uh, of the kind deed of deeds um, gets an awful lot out of it. Um, is um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely feeling um, to think. Well, I I I did a kind thing there, and uh, you know there was no um, gain in it for me. I just did it because uh, I I was acting out of kindness, mm. and that's good for the soul. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And and that can either be, as you say, through a voluntary work or just even those random acts of kindness that we and I always love when listeners take the time out, you know, to send in a message or an email or a call uh, to thank somebody who just went above and beyond and just did something kind. And sometimes it, it is from, a you know, by a total stranger. And it, yeah. it, it's lovely. And, and, and I always love to think that the person who did the act of kindness maybe will hear it so that they'll know the impact that they made. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it can be the smallest. It doesn't have to be big, grand, uh, grand gestures. But just it goes back to that whole thing, though, doesn't it? About it be kind. And it yeah. costs nothing like I was, to be I, kind. I, I was chatting with you recently about when we were travelling and maybe the health wasn't at the very best at the time. But uh, we literally weren't allowed to lift a suitcase or, or uh, almost carry anything. We we were nearly being brought down the stairs, you know. Yeah, 
And it's yeah, just nice. People just that nice. we never met before and more than likely we'll never meet again. But they were, they, you know, they were so, so kind. Yeah. It, it would... Um, and that there, it, and then the knock on is that brings happiness to you because you got helped out. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And happiness to the people who helped us because, you know, they it's feel a good. nice feeling to think I did a good turn for someone. Yeah. Yeah. Now the next one is is a, probably the toughest one when it comes to trying to get happiness in, into your life is cut down on worry. To try to cut down on worry. Now words are so easy. I mean cut down on worry. Um, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could? But at least to be aware that I am now in an area of worry which I have no control over. So can I let it go? Can I just, um, you know, for those of us of a spiritual nature to just say, I'll, 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 I'll let it go and I let it in the hands of whatever higher power that I, um, uh, that I believe in. Um, because, uh, you know, how often have we, uh, Patricia, on, on, on our slot on a Tuesday mentioned the serenity prayer? You know, so, so often, um, you know, letting go of what we have no control over, doing what we can do, and knowing the difference between the two. Mm. I mean, it's so important not to be constantly either ruminating about the past with regret or worrying about the future uh, with anxiety. And particularly Um, something that you've no control over. Yeah, and I often think to myself, like this this business of one day at a time, uh, I kind of cut it down to saying to myself, well, no, what what do I think can go really dramatically, terribly wrong between now and midnight? And the answer usually is, well, not a lot, really. So if I'm really uh, engaging with the uh, one day at a time philosophy, well, then, I would try to live in this day and, uh, as I say, not to be ruminating about the past or, or, or worrying about the future, to just um, to do the best we can today. You say know, know yourself, your strengths and your weaknesses. Yeah, yeah. There's always room for improvement. Like, um, with myself now, uh, I, I would have to, on the negative side, I would have to put down impatience in a, in a big way, capital letters. Um, and, you know, I need to have a, a chat with myself fairly often about try to be just a little bit more patient, that um, uh, things may not necessarily happen now, um, but... Um, you know, to uh, to try and live the day as best I can um, uh, without um, letting my uh, weaker sides uh, take over. And uh, as I say, a big one would be now on the minus side would be um, uh, impatience and maybe can be a bit short-tempered, which would go hand-in-hand with that. And then um, on the other side, then um, yeah, I I I I hope it doesn't sound big-headed, but I mean, I would do a good turn for a person if yeah. I could. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, 
if I saw an opportunity in a way to do a good turn for someone, well, I would do that. Well it done. might only well be a take. And then, and then you say accept yourself. Yeah. That, um, uh, no, we need to work towards a bit of improvement. But I mean, um, even acknowledging our weak points um, is a good start to that. And, and to say, do you know what? At the end of each day, if I can look in the mirror and if I can say, you know, you did your best, well, that's good enough. If I did my best, um, I might I might have good days. I might have days when I'm not so good. But if I can genuinely say I did my best, well, that will do. And engage in the now. As we were saying, to live in the day and to to engage, if we can at all, with the natural world. I mean, to walk by a running stream or to walk in a green park. Um, uh, all the research that has ever been done on that would suggest that that is a big positive in our lives and it lifts our um, thinking and feeling. So, yeah. So if we ask ourselves, well, when is the last time that I, um, uh, you know, visited um, a, a place where there's lots of greenery, lots of trees, lots of grass uh, and all of that, that that, that is good for us? And yeah, and the one I, I love, I love to be by the sea. Um, yeah, I, it, and it's just so uplifting. Whatever it is, and I envy people that live by the sea, and you know their daily walk and your walk on the on the beach. It's just it's, it's fantastic. And yeah. always be willing to learn. We're never too old to learn. Yeah, yeah. Like um, there would be um, uh, little, you know, little tricks that we'd have with me you now with the impatience. It might be <laughs> just like stop and think. Um, Little sayings um, that, um, that that can help, like the one day at a time and, and applying it then in a way that is really present in the one day at a time, rather than something that's just um, a couple of words tied together, you know? Okay. And um, so to be willing to learn and um, uh, another thing that can cause unhappiness and that will cause us happiness if we don't engage with comparison with others. There will be always people who are smarter than us. There will be people who are richer than us. There will be people who are whatever. Yeah. But like, um, comparisons are not good. If we are always trying to, as it were, uh, if we are envying people who seem to be doing a bit better than us, or, you know, if we are trying to keep up with the Joneses, well, that definitely doesn't lead to happiness, happiness you know. Yeah, and, and yeah. accept, you know, while we're all striving for this happiness, accept that there will be down days. You will Absolutely. get days where, where you Absolutely. won't feel too happy. Yeah, yeah. There will be days, um, who was it? Um, not, um, oh God, you'll know on the spot now. <laughs> My mamma told me that days, days Van, like Mar- this. Van Morrison days, Van like, Morrison, this. days yeah. like this. And, yeah. to, and to finish up, you've got a, a set of three. Yeah, yeah. If we have like something to get up for in the day, if there's some little thing that needs to be done, and that we um, that we are able to do it, <laughs> including putting on our socks. Yeah. Um, if if we're if there's something for us to get up for. 
And if there's someone to love in our lives, like we said at the very start, whether it's a relative, uh, whether it's um, a granddaughter, a grandchild, um, a son, a daughter, a wife, a partner, um, if there's someone to love in our lives. And then the last one would be something to look forward to. Now, it needn't be a big deal. It needn't be a trip to Alaska. Mm. It might be, I'm, I still haven't been to see Oppenheimer. But, yeah, um, it can be a small, it can be a small, it, it can be the big flash holiday, but it can be as small as a trip to the to cinema. Just to the uh, cinema, What maybe. we said earlier, reconnecting with a friend, going off and having a cup of coffee with a friend, it can be the small, simple things as well. Listen, have a wonderful yeah. week and we'll talk again next Tuesday, Joe. Okay, and thanks Patricia. for joining us, Joe's uh, number is uh, in Bohabui. It's 086-834-8145. To kindness, hi Patricia. I was paying for my shopping at a store on Patrick Street recently when a gentleman standing behind me paid for my goods. Uh, so kind and simply walked off. What wonderful random act of kindness. Okay, that's where I leave you. Uh, thanks to John Paul. Nick's with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the Talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.